This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. There we go. Um, you know what? Let's just start right away. Let's get all the small talk and everything in on the episode. Yeah. Uh, sure, let me sure. just introduce every, every, uh, everybody to you. Um, welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And today I'm speaking with Anthony Kalinde. <laughs> yes there yes. you go that's a, that's a bantu that's a bantu pronunciation there <laughs> <laughs> yeah how are you how are you it's my pleasure to be here thank you for having me i'm doing so well thank you uh mm-hmm. for coming on you know um we have a common friend a mutual friend uh eric yeah. Sudvik. he's been on my podcast yeah. twice two or three times yes. um and I just love that guy. I don't get the opportunity to speak with him that often, but when I do, it's always good conversation. <laughs> he, uh, I know him through the stand-up community. Um, yeah. I think I met him in Drummond uh, the first time I met him, but since then I run into him in, in Oslo a couple of times. And okay. uh, what a guy. And he's been after me for quite some time to talk with you and have you on. So here we are. All right. Cool. Cool. So, so, cool. so the success or failure of this episode rests on Eirik Sørvik. Just so that's so known. <laughs> yeah, I'll blame him for everything as well. <laughs> uh, he can take it. He can take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, um, you seem to have an interesting background. From what I understand, you're the son of a diplomat. Yes, yes. Uh, I used to, we used to call ourselves Diplo Brats, um, <laughs> run around um, sort of uh, uh, in foreign countries. Um, I, I, my mother was, my, my mother was, uh, was a diplomat. And uh, I think I left my home country when I was uh, maybe eight or nine. Malawi, right? Um, yeah, Malawi. And we moved to Ethiopia. So I kind of did my high school and sort of spent my early formative years in, uh, in Ethiopia. Then we moved to Switzerland. Um, I did a bit of time in South Africa. Uh, maybe I should say I did a bit of time. I spent a bit of time in South Africa, <laughs> um, uh, England. Uh, and then finally, I did my bachelor's in, in Geneva. Interesting. Um, and it was a sort of um, an interesting trade-off because my older brother, who's uh, ten years older than me, um, he was sort of he was nineteen, uh, eighteen to nineteen when we were leaving Malawi, right? So by the time he was 24, 25 and done the college, he was I'm going home, I'm done, I'm going home. Um, so when I go home to when I go to Malawi uh, and and visit, um, he you know if we can we can go see the butcher, a doctor. Um, the bar, um, barbershop, and he knows them, you know, he has the background story. I want to school with that guy. I want to school with that guy's kid, uh, so on and so forth. And uh, I will sort of probably never have that, you know, uh, at least for, until I settle down long enough somewhere. But I do have like uh, maybe six, seven countries where I can go, hey, man, I need a place to crash. I'll be over there for like you know, a week or so, and that'll be no problem just because that's how I grew up. That must be really cool to have that set of friends, that international set of friends where you can, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, drop in pretty much anywhere in the world, at least several different places in the world. And you, you've got a friend there. You've got somebody you can hook up with and, you know, kind yeah. of lead you around yeah. and show you what's what and all that. What What, yeah. what is it that, uh, is it the diplomatic uh, status that brought you to Norway? And how long ago was that? No, no, no. Uh, I stopped being a diplomat at 25, right? So at 25, you graduate out of diplomathood because your your uh, your your mother's uh, uh, your or your parents' um, uh, status can no longer protect you. You know, you're now an adult, right? Right. So you have to go out into the world and make your own make your own way. 
Um, at the time, I was doing my bachelor. I was finishing my bachelor's in in, uh, in IT in Switzerland, um, and I started working for the UN. And I did that for mm. yeah for well, well a wing of the UN, <laughs> a wing of the UN called uh, the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. Right. So okay. I was doing some some IT over there. It's it's an arm of the UN that does a lot of um. Um, so whenever the UN releases a new mandate or whatnot, and um, uh, there's, a, there's a requirement to train member states on this new mandate, um, they have uh, several wings of the UN that sort of put together training packages for these uh, sort of get member states on board, like environmental law, or maybe there'll be peacekeeping training, where they go, okay, this is how we do peacekeeping now, from now on, and that sort of will be a... a uh, you know, all member state wide edict, if you will, where okay. they sort of roll out all this training material. And I was doing a, sort of one of my first jobs working IT. I was working for that project. And, and where mm-hmm. where were you located when you first started working that project? I first lived in Geneva. In Geneva, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. That's where I did my bachelor's. And so my, my mom was stationed there um, when I turned 16. So my mom was stationed there for um, the, um, the African Union, um, which was um, the I guess uh, I guess it's it has the similar mandates to the EU um, in that it aims its aims are similar, but it has a lot less reach and it's a it's yes. a lot more in its infancy. Yeah, um, but there's some very interesting things coming out of that union as well coming up now. Well, at, at times there is uh, you know if anyone who pays attention to international news, at times I've seen that a lot of talk has been about the lack of effectiveness of the African Union. Mm-hmm. But at times, yeah. about the actual effectiveness mm. of it, mm. where do mm. you think the African Union stands now, as far as 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 influence mm. and 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 power and and being mm. in a position to do anything worthwhile for mm. African nations? So, I think again, like I've been living in the West for a long time, right? So I feel like I, I'm definitely talking from the outside looking in. Mm. Um, uh, so from and I, but I do visit home. I try to visit Malawi as often as I can. I still say home, even though I I, grew, I left more than twenty years ago, right? Do you feel? Uh, do you feel there. that kinship to Malawi still? When I go, yeah. When you're there, yeah. You when feel- I, yeah, yeah. When, when I'm over there, um, there's this just, it's just hey, I'm from here, and I also I, I have my my, my father tongue. So, um, and I think like the difference is like, it's like, it's like when I come to the airport here in Norway, right? Um, when you come to the airport and you're here in Norway and you say you're not speaking Norwegian or anything like that, and it's, you know, ID and so on and customs and so on. But uh, when you come into Norway after a few times and you go, uh, hi, hi, uh, I remember <laughs> I was coming from India. I was uh, doing a training session in India where I was training some guys in India and I came back uh, for work. Uh, for a client, and uh, people, st- and uh, my customs, and the lady says, "What is the bar?" I was like, "Oh yeah, Marty India." And she goes, uh, "Oh, whatever you live there." I was like, "Oh, I'm not your boy. I'm not Canadian. I'm living there from Canada." And she was like, "Oh, you mean why I'm going up?" And I was like, "No, I'm going to make a bar. A bar." She's like, "Oh, you know, you know that feeling, right?" Yeah. Now you, you and I, you and I understand everything you said, but for my non-Norwegian speakers back home in the states. Uh, yeah. It's basically just uh, you know bantering back and forth between them, and the the, yeah. the cool part is that they you know it's it's a piece of home for you now that you're yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I I any place where I feel like I have that ability to sort of banter to the customs agent <laughs> at the airport, and it'd be like fun and sort of lighthearted, and there'd be 
no no tension whatsoever um then that's that's definitely a bit like bit yeah. like home right well yeah you mm. know and i noticed when i mm. i've been here in norway for 19 years now mm. um and it's it's been a strange transformation when it comes to identity it seems mm. like the longer i the longer i'm here the more aware of my americanness <laughs> Uh, if you will, I become, and on top yeah. of that, the more I'm aware of my blackness. Right. right. And, and mm. I don't know, I don't know what that is. I can't explain it. I don't know if that is mm. a longing for home or homesickness, mm. or mm. I don't mm. know if it's a mm. manifestation or a realization that I'm not a typical resident of Norway. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't figure yeah, out where yeah. to place that mm. feeling or that experience yeah. of otherness. I don't know. Uh, so where... I, 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 I've lived in like, like, you know, a, a few places, right? Six, seven countries, um, at different ages of my life. I've learned different sort of, uh, stages of adulthood, uh, and different sort of language yeah. uh, gaps, if you will. Um, and so for me, I, I definitely feel like I have an experience of sort of getting to a place feeling what I identify myself as sort of in that new place, because I think there's always a transition when you go to a new place, there's some sort of, um, um, sort of, some sort of, not, not, not the transformation of the, or recreations as such, but people don't know you, you can be, you can be whoever you want to be. Right. Um, and so I think that opportunity, whether it's pronounced or not, I think still manifests as a small transformation in personality change. Right. Um, and, and I think that in some places you notice yourself change at a personality level, Sure. But in some places, you then sort of notice your your otherness, if you will. Yeah. Um. I I I um. I love I love going to France a lot. Um, <laughs> back when you could go places, right? Yeah. Um. And I remember I did a really geeky project where I, I competed in a hackathon in France, right? And I remember saying to my my friend, who's like a tall, uh, tall, very white Swiss guy, and um, a tiny, tiny Iranian woman. <laughs> she's she's like five foot seven and five foot six. She's not tiny. I'm sorry. I love you, Mushkin. Um, anyway, uh, uh, and I remember saying to them, I was like, I don't feel black here, right? Because France is so multicultural, yes, right? Yes. I, I, I'm walking through the airport, uh, customs, police walk by, and I'm like, hey, why didn't you notice me? I don't, I don't feel special, right? right. Whereas I, I feel like in Norway, every once in a while, it's not like I feel like I don't want to get stopped or harassed or anything, but I do feel noticed. And I'm like, <laughs> is, that, is that in my head, really? If you want right. to get noticed, let's take a trip to, uh, I don't know, where are they kicking black people's ass now in the States? Let's go to Chicago, for example, and just tap on a policeman's shoulder and just see, and see what happens. I, I wrote a post like a while back, like a, like a, like a, like a love letter to Norway, where I was like, thank you for not shooting me, guys. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I hear some shit about my brothers in America, and it's like, oh my God, what the hell? But, um, uh, no, it is. I can imagine. I, can, I was going to say, yeah. I can imagine that Paris, or I'm sorry, France, or mm. actually just about any mm. Uh, mm. European country is quite mm. different for a person yeah. of color than Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. to hear Norwegians, to, to hear some Norwegians tell it, uh, Norway mm. is almost overrun with black and brown people, but that's just not the case. <laughs> that's not the case. You know, there are concentrations of us in, for example, yeah. in Oslo, you, have, you you live in Oslo, yeah. right? Yeah. There's yeah, concentrations yeah. of black and brown people there. But mm. if you look at the country as a whole, we are not mm. that many. So then, yeah, when you go to someplace like, like, like France and maybe especially Paris, there mm. is mm. that multi 
cultural, that 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 colorful sub society yeah. that is there within yeah. the the greater French yeah. society. Yeah, and when I say yeah, greater, no, I, I mean I, larger I, in numbers. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 would, I, would, I would agree with you. Um, I, would, I would also sort of, um, I would think that perhaps, perhaps, um, well, I, I was going to say earlier that the, the statistics on sort of how many sort of uh, black and brown, if you will, uh, non-white um, uh, ethnicity uh, people live in Norway is apparently, last I checked, last I heard, it's probably around 3%. Yes. Right? Now, there might be a localized around not right, but it's three percent, right, of five million people um, who are not from Europe, who are immigrants living here, who are not um, um, uh, not from anywhere from this side. And I think to then go from that to we are overrun, I think is also sort of it's also one of those things where it's like it's, it's probably an aspect of today's social media, right? Because I think uh, so. Well, some people are out there who have that as their agenda. They'll go out there, yeah. and as part of their agenda, they, they will put that microscope on all things negative that have to do with what's happening yeah. with people of, of yeah. color here yeah. in Norway, which will exactly. then give someone who is, you know, I, I call it a, a people who have a sense of insecurity about their own culture because to me, the Norwegian mm. culture is quite strong. I mean, it's very much in place. Mm. There's a lot of mm. tradition here. So why are people so afraid mm. that something is threatening mm. that strong, yeah. Yeah. well-established yeah. uh, thing that mm. is called Norwegian? Um, yeah. We are not that many people here. And of those of us who are here, most of us are doing life in the right way. It's just right, that the right, negative right. cases are getting amplified, unfortunately. Yeah, and statistically speaking, majority of uh, uh, minority immigrants, if you will, or first generation, second generation, majority of them are trying to do life in the right way. Yeah. Um, statistically speaking, it's just that's just the count, um, uh, especially in sort of wealthier uh, European uh, European uh, countries or the wealthier states in the U.S., yeah. where you have sort of highly educated immigrants, highly highly skilled immigrants migrating in, right? Um, but even the ones, but even the ones that are not highly educated, even people of a right. more more of a common um, uh, level, an average level of education, if you will, even yeah. those people are not yeah, taking from society. They still, they, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you agree. I just, but but I, it's important to point out anyway. You know, basically, yeah, we all want the same thing. Everybody yes. who's yeah. walking the earth wants the same thing. Um, of mm. course, there's nuance, but people basically just want to have a good life. People okay. basically uh, believe that most other people are good. Uh, yes. And if yes. we could just take that as the starting point, and I guess I'm speaking directly to Norwegians, take that as the starting point. Let yeah. people prove yeah. to you that they as an individual don't fall into that category of good people. Yeah. You know, yeah. just assume the best, assume the best and, and, then, and then take it from there. You know, there was a quote that I like. I like. I like referring to because uh, the the person who said it surprised me. Right. Yeah. Uh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. But I think uh, I think the quote goes like this. It goes. Um, uh, I mean, I'm getting it wrong. But the gist of it was <laughs> we 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 always we always tend to think um, so much of our own intentions and so little of other people's actions uh, of the others' actions. Um, and I think it was phrased around in that way. Um, but it was said by George Bush uh, after his presidency, which I found very interesting. Um, and I, thought, and I, I don't know if that was sort of a genuine thing or just a speech or whatever. But I thought as a concept, as an idea, that 
um, the way to sort of relate to otherness. And I, and I feel like there's a lot of sort of well-documented research on the subject that um, the idea is that the way that you reproduce racism is by sort of stopping exposure to otherness. Yeah. If you expose people to otherness, all of a sudden it goes away. Um, I, I, this lady, Jane Elliott, uh, goes, yes. give me a whole school for 50 years on squash racism. I believe her. I, I completely think it's a total, you know, sort of, it's a constructive phenomenon that we can sort of curb if we want to tomorrow. Um, if we use today's social media, we could curb it probably in a few hours. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And that lady, by the way, is a true soldier for justice. She yes. has done such good work since the early 70s, if not the late 60s, in um, bringing awareness. You know, I don't know how many minds she has changed, but I would imagine it's in the thousands. She's bringing that yeah. awareness to the foolishness, the stupidity, the illogic, the unnaturalness yeah. of yeah. racism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, she's been, she's been doing the work. She has been doing the work. I, um, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I just hope somebody gives her all the schools in the world at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, sort of make that a thing that everybody goes to and goes through and learn. Because I think it can't be understated that well, if we're sort of educating kids to live in the modern world. Um, I mean, for example, I'm from Malawi, right? I grew up in. It's one like. Uh, a it's definitely one of below twenty, bottom twenty poorest countries in the world, right? Um, and uh, a person studying the same subject as me is competing for the same job as me, perhaps anywhere in the world, right now, right? Um, I think it's. I don't think it's. 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 Um, uh, again, things like reactions, like trying to close borders and all that stuff. They're taking our jobs and all that stuff. I think all those reactions are sort of missing the point. The world is just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller until, you know, the so-called you know, um, um, boundaries don't make the same sense anymore. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question about identity and, I don't know, uh, personal pride. Um, mm. You're living a life that is far from what the average Malawian lives. Mm. Um, you know, you know, if, if, if you, if you were a diplomat from the United States, if you were the son of a diplomat from the United States, you would be living a life that is much different from what the average American would live. So if we acknowledge that you're living a life that's quite different from the average Malawian, what does that do to you with your, when it comes to your sense of identity? Now you said you, you, I, you still identify with your homeland, but you have lived away from your homeland for quite a number of years and in a very yeah, different way mm. Mm. much longer than i've lived at home actually yeah. um uh, no i i um i think that's uh identity is a hard question right um defining so how do you define identity to begin with right um i know that i know when i was younger i would define identity as sort of something quite tangible um but I, I, I now nowadays I think of identity more as something that I I identify with, right? Um, the process of identification is sort of this um, uh, identity. At, at least that's what it seems to me. It seems more a mechanism a mechanism of my intent to identify than sort of um, who I am. Of course, I feel like I'm formed by sort of um, all the people that I've seen, the food that I've ate, the places that I've been, and so on, right? Um, but at the core of it, 
I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I feel like I'm an average Malawian, um, whatever that might have been, whatever that might entail, right? Yeah. Simply because I'm just so removed from the culture. Um, but I'm not really an average, I'm not an average Westerner, if you call that a thing, because that's sort of quite broad either, right? That's very broad. Um, that's very broad. As an American, I identify with things that are quite different than, for example, uh, a person from France, still in the West, right, right, but there's right. enough nuance, there's enough difference in experience yeah. and interpretation that I yeah. don't see very much in common between me and a Frenchman. Yeah. 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 But um, I, I, um, I definitely feel, I don't want to say if I could say, I definitely feel African. <laughs> just like, I feel African, man. <laughs> just sounds over here. Um, but like, I, I definitely feel like when I am in, when I am when I am in Malawi when I'm traveling through Africa uh, when I go through customs checks when I talk to police when I talk to um, uh, people in authority when I talk to uh, the vendor by the street and so on um, I feel like I can relate to them in a way that is perhaps quite unique compared to anywhere else in the world um, and and I think the, maybe that's just a function of that I don't remember having to learn the language okay maybe okay maybe. Maybe maybe it's just a function of that, um, but I have that sort of unique. Ah, I feel like I can relate to you guys, and maybe they don't feel that way about me. <laughs> maybe it's just me. You know, feel like I can relate to them. Like, look how, oh, oh, yeah. Maybe that's just me. How, um, how many language? What languages do you speak? And not as many as I should. I've forgotten a few. Um, <laughs> I speak, uh, I speak English. I speak from, I speak, I speak, I speak some French, uh, although I haven't spoken French on a day-to-day -day basis in like five years. So I shouldn't say I still speak French, but I understand a lot of French probably. And if I'm in a French country for three or four days, it'll come right back. Um, um, yeah. Um, I speak my mother tongue or my father tongue rather. And then, uh, I'm sort of basic intermediate Norwegian. Now, what is your what is your mother tongue called? So my mother tongue is called Ngonde, and Ngonde. my father tongue is called Tichewa. Tichewa. Right? Yeah, because because you know um, Malawi, Africa is just it's a mosaic, right? Yeah. And um, the the Malawi region historically, like you know, going way back, was sort of like it's where nomads just sort of come through a lot, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and at the time that the British were invading, you had sort of some sedentary tribes that were sort of doing a horticultural living and then you also had these sort of marauding raiding tribes that would sort of uh move without their women <laughs> go conquer <laughs> some place uh stay there for a bit uh be like yeah you guys are ours now we're gonna keep moving around women are coming to raise you uh and so on but uh apparently when they got to malawi for some reason the women uh, portion of the, of, the, of the contingent that would sort of then come and raise the really conquered people uh, didn't make it all the way, uh, so they were then raised by the locals of that of that area. So they became their culture was subsumed into the general Chewa tribes. So they're actually called Chewa, but originally they were called Lingoni, but now they're called the Chewa. So and it is something of a melting pot, then. Yes, uh, historically that whole area was a whole melting pot, and again, when this colonization started happening, it would sort of catch people at different phases of sort of how they live and how they move around, right? Yes. Well, some, there was quite a few tribes that were uh, the larger empires at the time were sedentary and horticultural, but um, uh, there was still a lot of tribes that were sort of nomadic uh, or um, sort of uh, hunter-gatherers or marauders. There's a, there's a lot of history there. Um, 
I cannot remember this guy's name, but one of the kings of Malawi, uh, you know, going mm. centuries, if not uh, uh, thousands mm. of years back, was is is said to be the richest man to ever have lived. Ah, Mali, Mali. Uh, um, um, oh, come on. I, I've, I've been trying to write a bit about him for like years. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Not years. For as long as I've been doing stand-up. Uh, Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa, yes. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I've been trying to write a bit about Mansa Musa for as long as I've known about Mansa Musa and for as long as I've been doing stand-up. <laughs> I think it's such an amazing story. Um, I mean, there's, there's one, 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 one article. Uh, that's, that's, uh, talks about how his procession, he, he had this one trip where he goes, I'm going to go to Mecca <laughs> from Mali. So he's going to go through all the way through Egypt, all the way to Mecca and come back. And he takes like a convoy of procession. Um, and the convoy of procession was so big that you can see it from space. Yes. Yeah. That blows my mind. Blows my mind. Um, so yeah. And that's right. He was king of, king of, he was king of Mali, not king of Malawi. Yeah. Mali, yeah, Mali. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got that a little mixed up. Yeah. He was, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to turn off the music the sound there. No, I yeah, I got I'm getting my getting my uh, West African uh, sub Saharan countries mixed up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you good, you good. Uh no, he was the king of Mali. He was the Asian king of Mali. Yeah. And he was uh he was a trader king, basically. And this is an interesting thing about uh, a lot of the trader kings of that time. Uh, and one of the things that religion was just all so creepy for us was because a lot of the trader kings looked to convert religions or adopt religions as a way to make it easier to do trade. Yes. So when Islam came around, they were like, cool, um, our gods, our ancestors, no beef with your God, we can, <laughs> we can adopt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because in general, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, they have this uh, ancestral worship or this sort of um, um, this this uh, non-exclusive worship sort of paradigm where it was okay to adopt other gods. Yeah, it was so, more of a tribal, um, a tribal multi-deity uh, type of thing yeah. until Islam yeah. came around. Yeah, 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 and then things like you know, uh, um, sort of uh, Christianity when that came around, yeah. it was like, oh, okay, we're going to do the same thing we do with this. And it's like, no, 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 this was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a whole that's a whole history lesson right there. <laughs> so let, let me ask you though. Okay, so you're trying to work uh, the story of King Mali into your your standup routine. Yeah, yeah. I'm now, I, I, I I find myself um, also plugging in a lot of things African and a lot of things Black American into my standup routine, and those are some of my best bits. The Norwegians. At the same time as those bits can make them very uncomfortable, they also. La- yeah. I, I wonder if their laughter is is kind of a relief from the uncomfortableness in the way that I present yeah. those kind right. of jokes and routines. Yeah. 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 So I remember seeing you. <laughs> I remember seeing. I think it was the first time I saw you on stage. It was uh, it was at Steiner's Open Mic, right? And you go up on stage. And I, I remember like sitting there like, hey, I'm the black guy. I remember thinking that, <laughs> which is like a weird reflex. I'm like, oh, hey, it only happens in Norway, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's really not that weird. I mean, I'm the same way. Yeah. If I see a, a black face in, in certain situations, yeah, yeah. it is a surprise. Yeah. It is it is unusual. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you go on, you go up the stage, and your first three jokes is about I think I think I remember correctly. And I remember I was telling I was like, I hate that I remember this. I don't know why I remember this so much. <laughs> Not that I hate, but you're joking around. And uh, you were saying that uh, um, I'm American and uh, uh, I'm German from Africa because Africans smell. And I was like, dude, what's the only two black guys in here? <laughs> like, Come on, guys. You know what? Yeah. Uh, it was a little different. It wasn't as blunt as that African smell, but I, <laughs> I said something about, yeah, you can yeah, tell. I, 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 I kind of went through like a short list of how to tell that I'm not African. And one of them exactly, I said was, exactly, the, exactly, was the smell. Exactly, yeah. And, and, yeah. um, it was and, funny. Don't get me wrong. It was funny. And then, but I was just sitting there. I was like, I'm the only, we're, I'm, I'm African. And we're, hey. Well, <laughs> I remember I pointed you out. Do you remember that? Because I started exactly, talking, exactly. I, I started saying a but I talked you know, a lot of shit Nigerian. about, I talked I a lot of, like, yeah, talked a lot of shit about Nigerians <laughs> and, 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 and exactly. the drug trade and how I got propositioned <laughs> on my way in. And then I said, oh, yeah. oh you, you're not, you're not Nigerian, are you? And I pointed at you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was like, but, but we're the only black guys in here. Pick on them. Oh, There's so many of them. <laughs> no, no, I um, I'm playing. I'm playing. It was just funny. It was just funny. No, I I that use really I funny. use that a lot to, mm. I don't know for, it, I guess it depends on the crowd, but but very mm. often it helps me to set the set the stage, because yeah. Yeah. what I see as a stand up. I never did stand up back home in the in the US. I've only done stand up since I've been here in Norway. But I can see just about every time when I get on the mic people are like, "Oh, this is going to be different." <laughs> you know? Because yeah. because I'm black, but then also when I start speaking English because I do my routine mm -hmm. in 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 English and then they hear I'm from the states, then they really yeah. get curious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so my yeah. my goal then is to set the stage and show them that yeah, I'm different, but then my routine is going to be different again. You're not going mm -hmm. to hear the normal mm -hmm. things. And I'm going to confront you on yeah, a few things. Yeah. So then I jump yes. right it right into the the race and the skin color and the otherness and yeah. all that and just yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember um I remember um this is like yeah before the second lockdown, I suppose. I remember going on stage and like looking at the crowd and just like pausing for a moment and then being like, so, so I'm black, right? And I look at them and they kind of look at me kind of hesitant. And I go, I say that because I know some of you don't see color. And <laughs> they, they really enjoyed that for some reason. I was like, okay, good, 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 good. Uh, and then I go, apparently my life matters. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> apparently, my life matters. Um, uh, I didn't know up until you know just a few months ago. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. My mom gave me some ideas, but some hints and so on. Um, but I, well, I think that for me, I hope that uh, when I'm talking that way and poking fun at things, that it does make you sort of uh, think about it in a way that yes, yes. Um, without tension right without any sort of charged emotion um, because i think the charged emotion is sort of blocks people from well accepting new ideas well the emotion is the laughter the emotion is the fun yeah. the funniness yeah. and i and, and it, it's just it's a good mix and it can really at the same time as it will raise the tension it also gives a sense mm -hmm. of relief because they can laugh yeah. but i i yeah. i yeah. i'm very vocal about things that I think are wrong here in Norway. Mm 
but I try mm. to do it in a constructive way and I try to do it in a humorous way. So mm. I'm joking mm. about things that are quite serious and people right. know they're serious. Yeah. You know, I take right. prejudice and racism and otherness yeah. I, and I, and I hit mm. it on the head. Mm. But when you throw that humor in there, it's such a confusing thing that brings relief. Yeah, it, this is one of the sort of one of the most amazing dynamics about stand-up. I think is, and also why bombing can be so like uh, can just suck the energy out yes. of the room because the mechanics of telling a good joke or having a good routine, I think, is sort of building up tension, building up tension, and then releasing the tension. Right now, if you sort of bomb, it's like you, but you manage to build up the tension. But you didn't manage to release it, then you just had this tense room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, well, uh, there's no release. But it's very crowd dependent. It's very location dependent. That set that I did that night, the first night you saw me, that was brand new material. I had never. That was my first night trying right. that material out, and yeah. it went over well that night. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, I did. I remember. And it. then, and then the next night, I did the same material here in Drummond, and I bombed. I mean, people were almost literally scratching their heads. They just didn't, they didn't get it. Oh, wow. They didn't get it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't get the same, I, I, I didn't feel right with the, de the delivery and the people just weren't getting it. So it's, it's, it's real interesting, but I think Norwegian crowds are different than, well, I can go back to, if I can go way back to like 2005, 2006, because I'm, I'm a musician as well. Yeah. And I remember this one night I'm performing in Oslo with my band and we're playing this funky song, you know, you know, get up and dance type of song. Yeah. And there's a break, there's an instrumental breakdown, like a, like a few bars of a guitar solo. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm the, I'm the lead vocalist. And I say on the mic, I say, yeah, y'all can get up and dance if you want to. And everybody just looked at me like, <laughs> why, why would we why why would we do that <laughs> well, you want to ruin a good and, night bro well, well, <laughs> and then so then so then i'm thinking oh my god this is terrible these people hate me and all night long people were just kind of looking and just you know and i felt like they just weren't digging it at all but mm, then mm. when we were finished and i would come off the stage i couldn't leave for almost three hours there were other bands that played after i couldn't leave for almost three hours because people were practically mobbing me with compliments and feedback and questions and stuff. And that's so Norwegian. That little, that, res <laughs> that, res that reserved response, that, that, that almost analytical uh, uh, way of taking in entertainment. Bill, Bill Burr said this on a talk show once. He says it's very difficult for him to come over here to Scandinavia and do stand up and get a good response because Scandinavians are so analytical. You know, they're like, right. why, you know, why is that funny? You know, this plus this yeah, equals yeah. that. Why, yeah, why would you yeah. do that? Why would yeah. you say, you know, and they, yeah. they, they do this analytical. I don't know if that's what it right. is, but I found right. that my material, the response to it can vary uh, mm. quite a bit. And I think that's a special Norwegian way of mm. responding. I don't know what you think. I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, uh, Isaac and I talk about this quite often where we go like, uh, what's up with Norwegian crowds? Not in a bad way or in a sort of like a it's negative just different. way. It's just like, different. It's just different. Because ultimately but, um, it's, our, it's our fault if the crowd doesn't respond. We exactly, have to get exactly, that crowd. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, I, and, I, I'm, I'm, and uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, 
Um, I like uh, I like when Seinfeld sort of uh, when you see his documentaries where a comedian sort of comes in and is blaming the crowd for something and they're just like, no, 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 it's your responsibility. Yeah. Like, I'm totally with that. I uh, I completely concur. The crowd does not owe me anything, right? No. Um, um, but and uh, I remember this one set that we did. Uh, was uh, the comedian that came before us? I don't know what he was doing. He was having like a bit of a meltdown day or something, and he started <laughs> cussing the crowd out. Like, uh, and because some of them were talking while he was doing his set, he started cussing them out. And the first couple of times he cussed them out, he got them on his side, right? And then it carried on and carried on and carried on. And he lost them. The point where the host had to be like, you know, you're going to grab the mic and you're going to go off. Um, and then he goes off and the crowd now is just, there's been a lot of tension built up, but it wasn't released. Now, uh, I'm in the back with, uh, I'm in the back room with uh, Ayanek and all the other comedians. And I was supposed to go on next. And every other comedian's like, dude, just ruined the room. And I'm sitting there, I'm excited. I'm like, somebody in, coach. Somebody in, coach. Because my my sense of it was, oh, at least they're they at least they have an emotion. Yeah. At least they're charged. It's not flat, tepid. You know, it's there's there's something going on. I yeah. can play with that, yeah. right? Uh, and I'm like scratching out jokes, rewriting stuff, scratching out jokes. Like, okay, 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 no, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I had a great, I had a great time. Right, the first five minutes were rough. Um, I had to sort of, you know, really bring them along. And uh, I remember again, um, the next five minutes were sort of, you know, I thought quite good compared to how I started and compared to what the room was like before I got there. Right, and then afterwards, I got a lot of compliments. But you had a really good set. You had a really good set. That guy ruined it for you, though. You had a really good set. And again, in the moment. I couldn't hear the laughter on stage, but when I saw the video I had a for me, I could then hear the laughter, right? I've experienced that as well. I record all of my, I record the audio on all of my yeah. sets. And there have been times where, especially when I'm trying out new material, where I'm thinking, you know, I'm very much in my head. I'm not in the moment and I'm thinking, oh man, this sucks. These people aren't laughing. Right. And then I'll go back mm -hmm. and listen to yeah. my record. I'm, oh my God, they were laughing. Yeah. They were like, yeah. And, yeah. But, but I wonder if that's that, uh, you know, because you have to, when you're coming up with new material, or I find anyway, that I have to be mm. a little bit in my head. You know, I mm. have to think about the delivery. Mm. And mm. instead of just saying what I want to say, I'm saying what I want to say, but I'm also examining the crowd to check that reaction because it's, it's new material. Mm. But mm. after a while, when I've worked in the material, I just kind of take it for granted that it's going to be funny. And, right. then, and then, no, because, but that's, that's after a long analytical, yeah. that's not arrogance. That's just yeah. knowing no, after no, a no, long process that, yeah, yeah, these people like this. Yeah. And yeah. and then you, I can get out of my head and I can be more in the moment. But, but to mm -hmm. me, stand up is quite a cerebral uh, uh, endeavor. I mean, there's, there's, oh, yeah. And I, and I think even for those of us who do it and we seem to be comfortable, I think there is still at, at some point in that creation mm -hmm. process where you're very much in your head, analyzing mm -hmm. the meaning, analyzing yeah. the delivery. Yeah. Um, I read, a, I read this uh, book. Um, I think it was, I think it was Greg Dean or somebody called Stefan Rosenfeld. I'll, I'll find you the title. Um, uh, but in the book, he was describing um, how um, he tries to, uh, critique his stand-up from a critique position and then perform his stand-up or practice performing his stand-up from the practice position. 
So he marks off different different spots in his space, right? And he goes, okay, I'm going to practice over here. When I'm going to come down and sit and think about it, I'm going to be over here in this position. So that when I'm in my head, this is the spot where I'm allowed to be in my head. When I'm standing over there, I'm not allowed to be in my head. Over there, I'm standing there, I'm protecting around performing and um one of the things that was very interesting that he talked about in the book was saying that you know you practicing for stand-up is quite hard to do right um uh, uh, but one of the things he was sort of trying to flesh out which i think he did very articulated very well was to say that um if you if you if you look at what all jokes are or what all moments for jokes are it's often um like the the most organic jokes that come up, they know they, they normally come up as a response to something, right? As a response to the event, as a response to what someone says, as a response to some thought or idea. And as so long as you can get the the audience or the people um, feeling the um, the the thing that made you respond that way, yeah. right? Um, and as long as you're responding to that, then it becomes an appropriate joke for that moment because you're responding to that now, right? right? Um, so when I, started, when I started thinking about that, I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And as you say, it's a very cerebral sort of process where you sit there going, okay, um, I'm practicing at home in my apartment. Um, the energy level that I have and the projection that I have is completely different to how I'm going to feel in a room full of people. Sure, yeah. Right? And, and again, for me, sometimes I'll walk in and it's like, it's a room full of white people. I'm like, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> there's a moment in my head where I go, okay, 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 okay. Ah, no, come on. Just, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, but there's a moment where you kind of go, is this? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> because it's, not like, it's not like I don't know it's fine, but I don't think it's fine. Um, but I also, for example, like, um, I feel like, uh, like uh, except for like Steiner's uh, spot where I kind of like, when it was going, I would kind of be there often. Yeah. And I'm like, how many of you have seen before? I'm like, I am. We know you, Anthony. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, so I can just try to start trying to do new, new material. Right? Yeah. But when I did do places that sort of people haven't heard of me or people don't know me, then I feel like I have to open up with some uh, why am I here jokes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I have to. Otherwise, they're sort of still thinking, I find that mm -hmm. I do better at the places that mm -hmm. I've never been before. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. I like, yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a self-confidence thing actually when I mm -hmm. think about it, but I like the anonymity of it. Right. Right. I get you. I get you. I it get seems you. to yeah. be more, more mm -hmm. spontaneous. The best, the best show I ever did was, was at a place mm -hmm. I had never been before with people who I, didn't know at all that's the best i ever did yeah i opened okay, for okay. uh open for zahid ali oh wow yeah. all right yeah all right all right cool cool yeah, yeah. cool that is uh, that's fun. Sounds fun that sounds really fun so your, your your creative process you said a little bit about that but do you do you write do you physically sit down and write or do you think of mm. things in your head and then you just try to work it out in a live setting no, I have a I have a pretty cerebral process. Um, I have a pretty cerebral process. I try to sort of um, have like I experiment with different methods of joke mining, <laughs> you know, uh, word lists and such, and um, uh, tell one story, tell the other story, kind of uh, uh, you know where you go. Okay, I'm going to tell this. I'm going to tell the story, then I'm going to reinterpret the story to mine for a setup and punchline, right? Um, so I, I I try to sort of um, do a lot of that. When I when I get the chance to again, it's not my full time job, 
right? Um, I, I started doing stand-up saying a year and a half ago, two years ago now. Uh, this last year doesn't count because COVID robbed us. Um, yeah, it doesn't but, count um, at all. <laughs> no, it's just it's just it's just not canon. We're <laughs> it's not canon. Keep that. Um, but uh, I find that I think there's a lot of um, good uh, science in stand up. You know, oh, yeah. like there's a lot of good brain doctors who sort of write about stand up and the process of laughter and so on. But I find very very interesting. And um, I know for me, one of the things I try to do is I try to have an idea first, sit down, and then sort of say, this is what, I'm, this is what I want to say, and I want to say it in a funny way, and try to do that, yeah. right? Um, how, I still often, think, how often do you um, do that? Lately, lately, not much at all. Lately, I've been focusing more on the day job just because that's sort of like yeah. you know, still alive very much, right? Yeah. Um, but when I when uh, when um, when sort of COVID was sort of not a thing, like when I'm doing it, because again, I've been doing be a, a show or two shows, shows. <laughs> I've been doing two or two. I'll be, I'll be going up two or three times a week uh, at best, uh, but more likely maybe two when things are sort of reopened somewhere yeah. uh, all over. So I get a chance that you know. Uh, um, at the time that is, uh, I get a chance uh, to go up at maybe Uhart to get a chance to go up at maybe um, um, ahead of the game before it closed. And then you had uh, it moved over to um, uh, Lincoln's. Or, uh, That's right. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, there was, there was a, and there's more and more places are open. I started at night. Um, I had a sort of a night where I was giving people like 15, 20 minutes to sort of just get used to it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was really fun. Right. Um, so, at that time, it was sort of like I leave, I leave, I leave, I leave an evening. I get off, I get off, uh, come home from having tried a set, try to write a bit. Next day, I have work. Maybe in the evening, you know, sort of maybe relax a bit, errands. And if I, you know, have the time, I'll probably try to do at least five, ten minutes, at least up to an hour. Um, at the time, um, you know, maybe two or three times a week because it'll be in and around. I have a show. I just did a show. I have a show. I just did a show. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I remember at, at the, at the time when I thought this is going really, really well, I said, no, this is going too well. I should bomb. <laughs> I should bomb so that I can get better. <laughs> and I remember going up on the stage telling Isaac, I want to bomb tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but I enjoy uh, bombing. There is one yeah. time that I got upset. I got real upset that I bombed. And it was that time, that first show after Steinage when you saw me yeah. and I tried that material. Yeah. I was so proud of it. I was feeling good. Yeah. And then I bombed and I got really, really upset. Right. Right. But, but, but generally, in fact, not generally, but every other time besides that, when I have bombed, yeah. uh, I, I think it's funny. I laugh at myself. I'm like, yeah, oh my god, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't no, believe. Same, yeah, same, it's a, and it's same. and it's a learning process because it it it. I mean, it's literally a learning process. It literally will tell you what works and what doesn't. Yes. So if, if I bomb, it's if I bomb, then I yeah. learn something because then I, yes. I'll always go back again and I'll listen to it and it's like, okay, well the material was good, but I stumbled over the delivery because. Yeah. my delivery is very important because I do it in English. And if, while the Norwegians who are there understand English, still it's yeah. not their first language. Yeah. So some of the play on words, some of the nuance and stuff, if I stumble over that or if I mess it up in some way, then the whole, the whole joke or the whole story is just, it's, I've wasted yeah. my time then. They're not going to get it. 
So, yeah. Yeah. so it's, yeah. it's always it's always yeah. a learning experience when I bomb. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. It's um, what was it? Dave Chappelle goes. Um, uh, somebody asks him, "What happens when you tell a joke and people don't laugh?" And he goes, "Nothing." And I thought that was the funniest comeback yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> nothing <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And what I've, mm. I've I've seen some of us who bomb mm. and and then freeze. You freeze yeah. and then, or, you know, that one line that doesn't get it any laughter mm. and then you freeze and then the rest of your time mm. on the mic is ruined yeah. for that evening. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I, I understand how that can happen, but oh mm. my gosh, you just got to roll with it. I, like I say, I mm. enjoy it when I bomb. It's funny. I've learned something. Yeah. Yeah. What I yeah, found. I mean, I'm an open, sorry, no, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Go ahead. I was going to say that I'm an open micer, right? I'm, I'm, I mean, like, uh, what the sign code says, you're the age on stage you're the age that you've been performing for yeah. right so i barely have like nine ten months on stage um uh, in oslo time that's that's very that's as much as it is in yeah. say new york time that's nothing yeah that's a, that's a month that's a month of stage time yeah. in new york yeah. right? um, um so i feel like i feel like i'm such a i'm such a i'm, such a, I'm an infant i'm just i'm i'm, I'm barely I'm barely I'm barely crawling i'm still crying yeah and that's that's the age i'm at in standard yeah. um and i i uh, when i look at sort of you know sort of expert level comedians who are like we've been doing it for years and years and years and i see the gap between them and myself and i go oh wow okay now i see that gap um it's 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 um it's it's it it, it, it makes it easier to bomb because, oh sure sure yeah you, you go the only way he got that good was by seeing what it's good and what's not good and by trying over and over you have again. to bomb you you have to fail on the microphone in order to get good you have to learn um well I, you know I, I i always say this stand-up comedy will really really humble the stand-up comic oh. <laughs> you, you, yes. you you may think you're writing some yeah. of the funniest stuff yeah. since since richard Pryor, yeah. and then yeah. you get up there and it doesn't yeah. work you know, okay, there's that humbling moment. And then the question yeah. is always, what do you do? What do exactly. you do? With a lot of people exactly. ignore that humbling moment. A mm. lot of people get crushed by that humbling moment. But mm. it is mm. the it's it's the long lasting stand up who can be humbled and then learn something from it. Go back and look at your your yeah. your material, look at your delivery and how are you gonna fix it? Uh, that, yeah. I, I I love doing stand up. I miss it. I haven't done it since mm. since I think I did a show in June of last year, mm, mm. May, late May, early June, maybe June of last year. And then before that, I hadn't done anything since late March. Mm. So you can say mm. since March of last year, I really haven't done any stand up. And boy, do I miss mm. it. I miss mm. it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't. No, I, I, yeah. Yeah, but I ain't, I ain't trying to get sick with Corona. So I've been staying home. I got, I got my first, I got my first vaccine uh, shot today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well done. No, I'm, I'm still waiting on mine. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you see, I, I'm, I'm watered down. You know, you, you, you're pure African. So you, you let, let the weak, let the weak ones, let the weak ones, <laughs> let the weak ones get the vaccine now. <laughs> well, um, um, I think, uh, I think we should have, uh, I'm, in, I'm in the group, I'm in the age group that's going to get it last, absolutely last, right? Like, how, how old are you? you know, I'm 37 years old now. 30. I, I, I hate you. 37. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I think I think that well, the technology that we had built already. I think that wasn't a, that wasn't the that, I think that was the easy part because we're all technical people. The easy part that was the thing that we were strong at, right? We're all technical people with an IT background, um, uh, and that was sort of not hard for us to do. But I think where we're weak on was all all these sort of um, uh, the business know-how. How do we structure, uh, for example, financing? And uh, I personally, and some of my colleagues as well, uh, my, my partners as well, we, we use our own personal money to finance this, right? We use our own personal money to finance okay. this. Okay. So um, that's sort of, again, like, why are you using your own money, bro? You don't do that in Well, it's a, heck of a motivator. it's a heck of a motivational <laughs> yeah. factor. Yeah, know? it's a heck of a motivational factor. And again, I think at, at the time, we all, we all believed, the right person believed, this is the greatest idea in the world, and of course, I'll spend all my money on it. Um, but it didn't quite work out. Um, we had a, we learned a lot. We had a good, some good traction. We won some fun, a fun competition uh, in Paris, well, yeah, in France, a hackathon, uh, where we like, you know, we're coding for 28 hours straight, um, you know, eating just chocolate and Coca-Cola and so on. And, uh, we managed to do a presentation that, you know, sort of gave us the first prize, um, in that category, which is data. Uh, so that was, that was really, really fun. Um, and I learned a lot from it, but we didn't succeed. Um, and I feel like if anything, I have had an interest in and around sort of, uh, startups and, um, sort of startup, um, I don't know, configurations, if you will, like yeah. just sort of how they get started, um, uh, what they do. Um, but if I could say that it's like a, you have the bleeding heart founder and then you have the mercenary, um, I'm definitely more on this side. I'm kind of like, give me a project, I'll work. Um, <laughs> and the whole sort of, hey, let's save the world doing this. Yeah. Um, um, but now I work for, uh, at least my day job, right? I work for a, a firm called Canary, which delivers sort of, um, um, sort of really high tech managed services to in and around something called application performance monitoring, um, automation, and digital performance management. It's complicated speak, but essentially we do a lot of um, uh, detailed looking at how things are working in your sort of in your IT infrastructure and in your IT software and how things are actually running to the code level. So you're like a, you're like a troubleshooter. We're like a we're like um, I like to say we're, we're like IT firefighters, right? Yeah. Uh, we find the IT fire, but we don't necessarily put it out. It's just that for organizations that are that are you know some of the large companies that you, that you have around, the majority of them are so big that you know it's not feasibly possible to expect a human to know where the problem is, even if they've been sort of head of IT for the last ten years, right? Yeah. Um, uh, they're probably was set up I mean, 20, 30 years ago. Um, the guy who built this, the guy who built that, they all left. It's not too many people to know where all the problems arise and all the new guys they hire and so on. So you use a lot of very expensive, very advanced software to tell you, help you draw a picture and figure out where these problems are. Arising. I see. Yeah. They still need sort of some uh, technical competence or know-how to sort of interpret correctly, um, which is where you sort of get consultants in and around the field going, okay, we can help you sort of um, get value out of these tools. So that's the kind of work, that's the kind of job that is pretty well insulated then in these times of Corona and COVID and things shutting down and whatnot, there's still mm-hmm. plenty of work for, for you to do. Yeah. That must be yeah, a good it's like, feeling. That must be a good feeling. It is. It's like in a video game where you go, um, you get up, you get a, during a pandemic, you get a plus 15% productivity buff in this kind of job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
just because you you have all the time. I mean, all this working from home, I don't, I don't, I can cut out the, the commute to work. I can cut out sort of um, any complicated lunch plans. Um, I can cut out a lot of the coffee machine chats and yeah. so on. Um, and, you know, probably start work a lot earlier than I would and probably work a lot later than I would. Uh, maybe eat very close to my laptop um, or to my desk. So it's, 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 um, it's, I think, uh... <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. It's, I I'm, think, such, uh... I'm such a professional podcast host, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. I'm, I'm noticing that I'm kind of sweaty, and I want to change my T-shirt, because I keep seeing my, my armpits. I'm like, okay. <laughs> This is why I thought I was making jokes about sweaty Africans. I was just going to say, don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is why I'm making jokes. It's like, look, I, I work out, okay? okay. <laughs> I have a high metabolism, okay? Okay. A high metabolism, literally. I'm a hard gainer, okay? <laughs> I love it, man. So yeah. when is... Uh, when is the next time uh, you're going on stage? Do you have any performances lined up? Oh, nothing planned. Nothing planned. Um, Just jump on open so mic if it shows up somewhere? Probably. Um, to be honest with you, I'm a bit disappointed with myself in that category in that regards because uh, sort of all the books of stand-up I've been reading uh, have a little section where they go, don't tell me about how you can't find places to do stand-up. Don't tell me about any of that. If you want to do stand-up, you'll find a place, you'll find a way to do stand-up. They then tell you all these legendary stories about people uh, who were sort of like, okay, Christmas, everybody snowed in. He organized shows in all of his neighborhood's houses. <laughs> so he'd show up in the living room and do bits. Bombing that way must have sucked. But he did it for a whole you know, season. But you know, a lot of uh, a lot of us have kept things going by doing um, you know comedy on Zoom and things like that. But yeah. I that that never I, I got asked to do it a lot, and I said no every single time. I mm. don't think that I would be comfortable performing mm. without having that direct contact yeah. with the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I love I love playing off of that audience. I don't think I've ever yeah. done a single show where I haven't interacted with several people mm. in the audience based on their reaction mm. or the look mm. on their face mm. and things like mm. that. And you just, can't, you don't get that over video. It's just uh, you know, mm. like my mm. podcast, for example, uh, mm. uh, people are supposed to be coming here to my home, to my studio mm. and doing it over by, by video like this is, I mean, it's great, but it's just that it's so much better yeah. doing mm. it face to face. And I feel that stand up yeah. loses for me anyway, it loses a big element a huge element when it's not live face to face with that crowd. Yeah, no, I, I I'm, I'm 100%. You agree with, you. with that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I think someone was telling me that, uh, Roy, Roy, Roy Wood Jr. Yes. Um, comedian, the daily show. Yeah. Um, and also comedian in his own right. known well known for the daily show. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, uh, he was saying apparently that um, if you're not trying to do stand-up online, by the time the world comes back, you'll be a dried-up husk. And I think, I, and I, I remember I heard that, and I thought, mm, I think, I think if you've already established, much like he has, a sort of digital presence, a digital persona, where you go, okay, um, 
Um, you expect to see me in this channel on this mm-hmm. platform. Um, I think for him, it's a different. Um, he loses a lot more from taking a break right now, right? Whereas I'm an open mic. I've been around doing being being in the trying trying to do stand up for a year or a year or so. Um, I'm not necessarily at, at a level of skill where I have to. Yeah, yeah. Keep it going all the time, right? Um, and again, I have a day job that I love. Um, uh, stand up has really been a sort of like um, um, this is really fun. I'm going to pursue it so long as I feel like it's fun and I feel like I can get good at it. That was sort of the only idea I have around it. Yeah. Um, and up until sort of like. No, I was going to say I guess people could do like those little, you know, thirty second Instagram reels and uh, or or, yeah. or even TikTok. Uh, yeah. You know, do those little short TikTok things. But that's not stand up. Yeah. That's just a short little no. comedy sketch. No. No, doing, and that's stand-up. so that's possible to do. But but doing stand up, doing stand up comedy on video, I, I don't I, I, I don't feel like taking a break for you know, six months or so is gonna kill me no. right now because yeah. everyone is taking a break. If everyone else wasn't taking a break and I was taking a break, I would be like, FOMO, FOMO, I want to be on stage right now. <laughs> well, I've used this past year to, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not going to get on stage, but there's still, uh, in fact, there's probably even a better opportunity now to create. So I'm still writing, even though I have no intention of getting on stage in the near future, I'm still writing that material. I'm still mm. going over it in my head. I have, you know, I don't speak into a dictaphone and then listen to that. Right. would be weird, but I right. am writing and I'm going over it in yeah. my head and trying to think yeah. about the timing and the delivery of it all so that yeah. when things open up again and when when I feel comfortable, uh, mm. then mm. I'll, I'll just jump right back into it. And then, you know, yeah. and go through that editing, that self-editing process again and stuff. But, but I won't be jumping into that cold at all. So right, I understand right. what Roy no. I understand what Roy, jo, Roy Roy Williams is saying, but 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 yeah, I don't think you need to get on a video and do stand up in order to keep your chops up. I don't believe I don't believe that's necessary. Yeah, I don't feel that's necessary for me at no. least either. Maybe for some comedians, but at it least might work for, for me. I, like, yeah, yeah, and um, I completely agree with you. Stand up is sort of a it's, a it's a give and take thing. My set would probably change based on how people are reacting to sort of what i'm saying yeah um maybe not change change sort of like um throwing everything out but i might spend more time sort of fleshing something out or move more quickly to something that i think is more relatable or whatever right um but it will be a response to that moment um and i feel like if i can't respond to that moment it's not the same thing well yeah i I like to tell a story my comedy isn't my stand-up comedy isn't jokes it's stories Mm-hmm. Uh, that are funny, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> and right, right. I like to write those stories with three, a, a threefold punchline or a threefold wrap up to that story. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. other words, story, punchline, hopefully mm-hmm. laughter, maybe mm-hmm. a response, <laughs> maybe some sort of verbal response from the crowd, from, from or from an individual in the crowd, which will mm-hmm. then lead me to the second part of the punchline. Mm-hmm. Hopefully yeah. more laughter, yeah. and then boom, the third. So every story yeah. I tell, I write in three mm-hmm. stages that are hopefully going to escalate the laughter, or escalate the or mm-hmm. 
or magnify the point in each stage. Mm. But that doesn't mm. work on video because it's dependent mm. on what kind of reaction mm. the crowd gives. Mm. But 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 that's me. That's that. me. You get that. Yeah. Um, John, can we take a two minute break? <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, and I'll edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. All right. And we are back. There we go. And uh, we are back. There you go. Look at that. A war, wardrobe, wardrobe change. Wardrobe now, change. Now, now I feel very African. I was like, <laughs> hey, but Africans, y'all, y'all clean it up. You have yeah. that. You, I mean, that. I bet you you've got yeah. a, a pair of sweatpants that match, a pair of shoes that match, yeah. and some kind of yeah. hat that matches. Now that's gloves. African. And gloves. <laughs> and gloves. Oh, man. I love it. Yeah. But I, when I go to court and I'm like, I still remember playing ball 20 years ago. Air balls. Like, hmm, I look too good to be missing right now. <laughs> I used yeah. to, gosh, I haven't played basketball in years. Wow. Yeah. I played when I was, uh, you know, I was real good when I was uh, younger, like in high school and mm. all that. But my thing was American football. Oh, I love American football. <laughs> that, was my, that was my sport, yeah. 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 I love watching football. I love watching football. Uh, I was a tailback. I was a tailback. I was one of them short, uh, stocky, quick-moving yeah. guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Epic. Epic. No, I have a cousin who was a running back in Canada, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, Canada, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of the sport. Well, no, could never play it myself, but I'm a big fan of the sport. <laughs> I, I think it's the greatest sport out there. Um, yeah. The athleticism yeah. that it demands. Not oh. only do you have to be strong, you have to have endurance, yeah. you have to have quickness. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I think I think football players, yeah. American football players, are the best athletes in the world. Oh, guaranteed, hands I so. down. I can't think of any 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 sport that requires that wide uh, skill set. Yeah. Um, and I think if you put sort of any other athlete against an American football player, I'd be like, let's compete at anything, <laughs> anything you want. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Like, let's, let's play your sport. <laughs> American football players will be sort of, yeah, up yeah. there. You know, everybody, um, people may not classify themselves as this, but I believe that everybody is a dreamer. Everybody's yeah. on a path. Everybody wants mm. to better their life. Mm. Everybody wants mm. to better the lives of their friends and family and people mm. around them. Mm. What are your, tell me a little bit about your hopes and dreams. You know, you're, uh, yeah. you're in your middle, yeah. you're in your mid thirties now. Yeah. yeah. And let's say when you're, when you're my age, I'm 52. Where do you want to be when you're 52? What do you want to be doing? What's happening with Anthony Kalinde? I want, I want a bigger fro. I want to be like, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was thinking, uh, no, like it's, uh, I always joke that I'll, I'll be at a beach house in Malawi making swords, right? Just like, uh, like samurai swords, just learning, just this, this meticulous, slow, and I'll have this like gray, gray haired afros ding, ding, ding. That's the sort of a, that's the one I would always joke about, right? Um, but um, I've always, uh, I, I've grown up uh, in and around my mother's, sort of, uh, my mother's son, right? My mother's job sort of, um, she brought it home a lot of times. <laughs> um, and I think for, for the most part, it, it imbued, I think, you know, in, a, in most of my family, this sense of, hey, there's some, we have to do our part 
for sort of uh, where we come from, just because um, if we don't, if we have sort of the, the upbringing and the education, education skill set to sort of go home and do something, if we don't, who will? Exactly. Um, and I know that sort of personally for uh, as long as I've grown up, I've always had in the back of my head that at some point I'm going to go home and I'm going to sort of help set up shop uh, and I'm going to help sort of, you know, improve things. Um, now I'm 37. Um, I've sort of put and put on paper sort of a plan where I go, okay, over the next sort of uh, five to eight years, I want to transition towards sort of um, having uh, this much sort of uh, time or, uh, or effort I can spend in sort of working on a project back home. Right. Um, and that, that's quite motivating for me just because I feel like there is so much opportunity in Africa for Africans, for members of the diaspora like myself, um, to do a lot of things in Africa, um, for the better of Africa. Um, and I feel like that's something that's within a lot of people's reach. Um, it might seem, uh, arrogant to be like, well, if you just to say that, Oh, we, if, if we have the skill sets, we don't go back who will kind of thing as people back home don't have the skill set. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. Um, but I would like to say that it's, it's, um, there's certain sort of, um, um, slightly more relaxed access to things that sort of, uh, does enable some things to move more quickly. For example, my internet's never slow over here, right? So if I want to sort of learn anything, uh, play with anything, um, I can literally get it within a few minutes, yeah. right? Any subject in the world within a few minutes. Whereas if I'm sort of back home and I have the same initiative, that will take me quite a long, much long, a longer time. It will cost me a lot more yes. because bandwidth is super expensive. Um, so I think being able to, you know, if I could help lower the cost of a, of a incident bandwidth, I'd call that a win, right? If I could lower it by a dollar, I'd call that a win. In some of these African countries, I'm not too familiar with the situation in Malawi, but yeah, I would imagine that internet mm -hmm. access to all citizens would drastically mm -hmm. change things. Uh, imagine what that would do for the vision of some oh, of those yeah. people. Oh, yeah. And again, it's not, it, it, like you said, it's not being said from a position of arrogance uh, mm. or, a, or a position of feeling self-important. It's just the oh, fact yeah. that when you've, when you've traveled like you have, when you have mm. experienced mm. Uh, what uh, Northern and Western Europe has to offer, it does something mm. with your vision. It does something with your yeah. ambition. It tells yeah. you that maybe mm. some, not maybe, it tells you that some things that you never would have thought were possible if you had stayed home in Malawi, now you see yeah. that they are possible. And that's some yeah. great knowledge mm. to be able to bring back home mm. and put to mm. practical use for the people there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I think, and I think, uh, you know, I kind of say it jokingly, but um, a happy childhood is expensive. Um, <laughs> my grandmother, my grandmother always used to say, "Money will not buy you happiness, but it will pay for the search." Exactly. For <laughs> search. Uh, and a happy childhood is expensive. A happy it is. childhood means uh, somebody provided quite a lot, and not just a lot in terms of sort of um, uh, you know um, body coverings, shelter, and food, <laughs> to put it that way. But uh, in terms of they provided infrastructure or access to infrastructure. Um, and that is quite hard to sort of quantify how expensive that access is. Um, so I think even when you grow up, say, in Malawi, um, I have friends who sort of have never lived outside of Malawi who, you know, will have a conversation and we're 
Um, we're peers in the way that, um, like, the, the, the Malawian fisherman has more in common with the northern Norwegian fisherman than he does with me, right? Uh, whereas me and Oslo, ha, or a uh, 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 white ethnic Norwegian person, Oslo, has yeah. working and sort of living a, a, you know, sort of a, a, a typical sort of urban life, has a lot more in common with someone living an urban life anywhere in the world. That's right. Wake up in the morning, check my phone, Facebook, uh, Instagram, whatever, um, um, you know, go about my my errands, uh, maybe have some food, use one of my appliances to make food or juice or whatever, um, use one of my appliances to to uh, disclaim my face or whatever, uh, use one of my gadgets to beam me you know, bandwidth, uh, bandwidth internet, and so on. We we have um, a similar sort of um, noosphere, right? Yeah. Um, but um, and, and I feel like more and more as time goes on, that will be the distinction of a peer group. It'll be the how different our first thought and last thought of the day are. Right. If I'm a fisherman in Malawi or a fisherman in the north of Norway, my first thought in the morning isn't really going to be my feet. It might be. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> but more often than not, it'll be, all right, time to go out and get some fish. It's 4 a.m. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that, and like, uh, that goes back to what I was thinking about identity earlier, right? I feel like sort of um, having access to internet gives you another way to identify Absolutely. with the world. And so it changes your identity. That's a good tie-in to the very first question that I asked you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't have an answer right now, but it's working. It's like non non-neurotypical brain takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I haven't done anything else for you, you can at least say I made you think today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Anthony, I uh, I have really enjoyed this uh, this conversation. I want to keep talking, but I can't. I gotta I have to go check in on my Snoopy before she goes to work. She's working night shift tonight. I gotta gotta yeah, holler at her for a second yeah. before she leaves. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It was but, a pleasure talking to you. Um, it, it's it's uh, I, I should be a little uh, uh, irritated with myself that it took me this long to have you <laughs> because actually, you know, I I, I, I said briefly at the beginning of this episode that Aidik has been after me for a long time to, to talk with you. Actually, yeah. it was that night. Now that I come, now that I think about it, it was that very first oh, really? night at Steinar's oh, really? that he said, he even pointed you out. Now, and I didn't get it. I think yeah, I said I hi to you very briefly. Yeah, and yes, I, yes, and my yes. intention was to talk with you because he pointed out, he said, that guy over there, you've got to go talk mm -hmm. to him. You have to get him on your podcast. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then uh, one thing led to, yeah, and one thing led to another. I never got to talk with you that night, so shame on me. Shame on me. <laughs> I know it's funny how we got to talk. Uh, hopefully, we can do it again when there's like more stand-up going around and sort of that is more alive in my head and whatnot. Well, the way I look at it, as mm -hmm. as we live life, we gain experiences, uh, and then there's more to talk about and. And uh, that's what my podcast is all about conversations with good people about mm. their lives, their <laughs> observations and what's going on. And, uh, like I said, you're an interesting guy and, and you're living a life that is very much outside the normal, uh, not just for the average Malawian, but for, for anyone, mm. you've had a very mm. interesting life. And, mm. uh, mm. and I appreciate you sharing some of that with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And, and you as well. You seem to have had a very interesting life. And, I do. I'm uh, thank blessed. Thank you for sharing that with me and for sharing your podcast with all of us. Well, thank you. I uh, mm. I really appreciate my listeners. Um, mm. 
I, I, I get emotional when I think about all that I've learned from the different guests that I've had. I've had a lot mm-hmm. of different people. I think your episode is going to be around 125th, 26th episode, something like that. Wow. That's a lot wow. of conversations with a lot of yeah. people. And I've learned something new from each and every one of them. And you're, yeah. you're part of that family mm-hmm. now. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for teaching me. Cheers. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad I could be here. Will you stick around for a minute? I want to say a couple of words to my audience and, uh, and, uh, I want to talk to you. So don't, don't hang up. Sure thing. Okay. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, if you're watching me on YouTube, remember to click that little bell icon. Uh, that lets you get a notification every time I release a new episode. If you're listening to me on another podcast platform, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, Thank you all for your time. Thanks for your ears. I hope this didn't hurt. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Goodbye.